Welcome to Behind the Scenes with Brian, the podcast covering everything from engineering, mining, and mine waste management to whatever else may be on our minds. Pop in your headphones and don't forget to rate, subscribe, and share. And now, here is your host, Brian Ulrich. everyone this is brian and this is behind the scenes with brian and today i am joined by jesse Dillon of cedar creek associates jesse how are you today very good thank you good good yeah and we're recording this during the pandemic and it just doesn't seem to be getting any better but hopefully it's not negatively affecting you your family or your business yeah i appreciate that we've actually done pretty well through the pandemic i think the industry has been pretty good through the pandemic so yeah, yeah. I think there was a couple of months at the start where people were kind of regrouping, but it's it's also taught us how to work remotely and how to um, get things done without being side by side with each other, at least all the time. Sometimes it's still really beneficial, but it's not always necessary. Yeah, I agree. It's cut down on my 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 airplane time, which I I really yeah. <laughs> Yeah, in that regard, it's negatively affected my business because I have work all over the world and I would love to be able to fly in planes and, and someday that'll be happening, but not today. Yeah, understood. Yeah, so Jesse, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, your education. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, I took a natural resources class in high school and that's where I really like fell in love with doing natural resource sort of work. Mm. And through that through that class, I was directed to go to schools that were strong in natural resources. And so I was directed to go to either University of Wisconsin, Stevens Point, or to CSU based on what I wanted to do and, and work in ecology. And so when I came out to visit Colorado State University, uh, I just, I saw the mountains for the first time. And, and I knew that this is where I was going to come. Yeah, yeah. Where where were you coming from? Oh, sorry. Yeah, so I was coming from suburban Chicago. So oh, okay. I'm, yeah. I'm a I'm a sort of a an urban kid that that has come to this this kind of more rural work. So that's been yeah. So um, I went to CSU and I um, I got a degree in rangeland ecology with a con- concentration in restoration ecology. And, and through my time at CSU, I, I worked for the restoration ecology lab, which did some research into, you know, restoring ecosystems, um, metal um, concentration thresholds and plants and stuff like that. And, and I worked on their field crew and we did some revegetation surveys on mine sites. And I, I really found the mining work to be interesting. And so even before I, I had graduated from CSU with a bachelor's, um, I had gotten a job at Cedar Creek Associates where I am now. And um, I've been here for 17 years um, and I've owned the company for the past three. Oh, okay, are you the sole owner now? No, I have a, I have a partner, um, Penny Hunter. Okay. Well, tell us about Cedar Creek Associates. How big a company? When was it started? And where do you work? And what does what type of work do you do? 
Yeah, so Cedar Creek was started in 1982. Um, so it's been around for a very long time. And, and the history of the company was, was doing a lot of coal mining revegetation work. You know, um, that, that work is really guided by the Surface Mining and Control Act, Reclamation and Control Act. And so, you know, there was a lot of revegetation obligations and monitoring. And, and so that's where Cedar Creek really got its background in doing that coal revegetation work. But in the early 90s, um, Cedar Creek started working in Nevada, um, really looking at Gold Strike and other other mines in northern Nevada with regard to revegetation and revegetation. Yeah. And so from there, we've kind of continued, you know, having kind of a database of work or a backlog of work that we've done. We've continued to start doing some closure design and as well as some, you know, biological baselines because we're biologists at heart, the, the, the whole group of us here. And we've, we've worked in, you know, primarily in the United States and primarily in Western United States where, where evaporation outstrips precipitation. These are arid lands. You know, where um, plant establishment is somewhat difficult. But I've had the opportunity um, in the last kind of boom, mining boom, to spend some time in, in the arid lands of Australia. Kind of Barrick brought me over there to do some work, um, uh, you know, yeah. evaluating the revegetation programs mm -hmm. over there in Western Australia. Okay. Okay. And uh, what is it that you in particular do besides owning and, and running the company? What do you do for the company? Yeah, so, um, you know, this is, a, this is a challenge for me. I mean, it's still a new role for me to be owning and running the company. Uh, I'm still doing a fair amount of technical work, a, a lot of technical work. I'm full-time doing that sort of stuff and, and kind of running the business on the side. So, you know, that entails, you know, working with design teams um, with regard to closure, um, doing, you know, revegetation surveys on the ground or baseline surveys on the ground. I'm still traveling quite a bit out to sites. And so, you know, the company itself is only 10 people big. Um, we've been operating under pandemic rules since 1982. We've never actually had an office. We've always been a remote company. Wow. And so um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of times just traveling to where our clients are and talking to them about projects. And, and so that's been, that's been, this is not new to me, this wave operation under the pandemic. Yeah. So when, when you want to get together with some of your colleagues, do you just meet at the coffee shop or what do you do then? Yeah, yeah, we do that. I mean, being in the Front Range of Colorado, we do more breweries. Than yeah, okay. <laughs> But yeah, we do um, we do that sort of things. You know, we've been doing teams meetings under the pandemic, but um, yeah, yeah, we do a lot of when we get together. We'll we used to do like a journal club where we'd come together and talk about the business for a little bit, and then talk about some recent relevant research to our work. Oh, okay, great, great. And uh, maybe you could give us a, an example or two of the work that you've done that you've found some real success in, or uh, have been, yeah, have been something that you're proud of and, and have been successes. Yeah, so I, I really, really enjoy working on environmentally sustainable closure projects. And so what that means to me is what, what then 
here and they do a great job, you know, addressing the protection of the resource and, and those sort of, or, you know, the protection of the, the tailings and creating a safe and stable, you know, um, landform. And what I really like to bring to the table is, is how can we make this uh, an ecologically sustainable system as well? You know, what I like to consider the agronomic properties of the surface material, the revegetation performance, and, and to make sure that it's, it's going to perform long-term. Some of that requires, you know, looking at um, what the soil profile might look like. You know, obviously the primary goal of what we, when we build a cover is to isolate the waste material. And then a secondary goal is to have that, that performance, the revegetation on the, on the surface. And so, you know, I, I like to work within the confines of what we've created in order to protect, you know, the, or to isolate the waste material and really create a revegetation system that, that is, is suited to that soil profile that's been generated. And so sometimes what we do in these, and I think we make a, a bit of a mistake is we say, you know, we're gonna look right next to where our tailings facility is. And we're gonna say, you know, our, our revegetation is gonna look like that 200 years from now. Mm. But, but that might be a soil profile that's eight or 10 feet deep, you know, that can support trees or something like that. Yeah. And when we look at our tailings facility, it might only be a soil profile, depending on the chemistry of the tailings and the physical characteristics of the tailings. It might be a soil profile that is only three feet. And so we might not expect the same ecological community to inhabit both of those habitats. Hmm. But, that, but that's not to say we can't have a functional ecosystem. We just have yeah. to understand the limitations of what, that, what we're building in these tailings facilities. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. That uh, and the state of Nevada has a prescribed seed mixture too. So how does that affect how you achieve your goals? Yeah. In almost every project I'm on, I'm, I'm designing local seed mixes, site-specific seed mixes that make sense for that circumstance. It could be a result of environmental like climatic or agathic conditions like like we just talked about yeah or it could be a result of just seeds that have been performing on previous reclamation on a site on a, on a concurrent reclamation on that site or a nearby site that informs what kind of seed mix i think would be best suited for that particular site yeah okay okay yeah i get and it, it seems strange to me that there's uh, the state prescribes the seed mix regardless of elevation and uh, precipitation you know higher up in some of the mountains they get a lot more precipitation and it, it doesn't seem specific enough to me so are you are you saying the state will allow alternatives as long as it it uh, is well designed and and uh, still fits their expectations yeah yeah absolutely and it, it's even encouraged to, to oh, okay okay yeah to that level i mean you know we're we're now to a day where you know even and and uh the nevada department of wildlife is wanting to get involved in seed mixes as well because they 
you know, they might have important mule deer habitat that's nearby or um, sage grouse habitat or something like that. And so seed mixes are, are becoming one of those things that, that there's, um, there's a lot of stakeholders that want to have input. And um, we're definitely coming to a point where almost every single one is, is site designed at this point. Okay, yeah, good. You've, you've taught me something brand new because I think I've written in the past several reports that just say we'll reseed it with the uh, NDEP seed mix XYZ. Yeah, I, I think that's for the most part a thing of the past. I think we're yeah. looking at more site-specific approaches at this point. Yeah, that's that's great. That's, that's really good news. So uh, aside from that, uh, Jesse, why would I want to an ecological person involved in the closure design. I know that vegetation is a very important part of the ET cover, but what what are some of the values that you bring to a project team where uh, another maybe another team is to, is doing the science on the closure uh, on the soil cover, and they invite you in to come with the ecological aspects. Yeah, so a lot of the things that we add um, to to the closure design is, you know, evaluating the agronomic properties of these these materials that we're using, whether that be growth media or anything that's really in the rooting pot profile. We're looking at the agronomic properties. So, you know, if we're using a two foot cover on maybe let's say waste material like waste rock. Mm -hmm. then our plants would be expected to root into that waste rock. And so we need to understand the agronomic properties of both the waste rock and the cover material so that we know whether the plants are really going to root into that material or not. And, and I think that the design teams that I've been a part of, the engineers do a great job of looking at, you know, the stability characteristics, the hydrologic characteristics or um, hydraulic characteristics. And we really are looking at what can we do to make sure that vegetation is going to be, that establishes, it's gonna be a community that's gonna be um, you know, suited for the site. It's going to um, help keep um, the surface erosionally stable. And it's going to be, you know, sometimes the revegetation just comes down to the aesthetic piece. And you know, we've been on a number of projects at the end of the day where you know, the vegetation hasn't done a really good job establishing and the regulators will just want to get the vegetation established on it. And they'll, the mining companies will have to come back in with, you know, some finer grained material or do some sort of um, remediation effort to get that revegetation established just because it's somewhat of an eyesore. And so, you know, our goal when we come in on these projects is to help get it right the first time. So we're not having to remobilize equipment. We're not having to bring stuff back. Um, and we're not having to reissue and reseed and redo everything again. And, and that's where I believe we drive cost savings for the mining companies is to just get it right the first time. Yeah, and of course, to the general public, all all that they can really see is what does it look like, and it could stick out like a sore thumb in one way or another. If the seed mixture fails in one year and everything goes dormant, of course, it looks horrible. Or, or I've seen some coal mine closures where it's beautiful emerald, emerald green grass, and it's surrounded by uh more muted tones of green 
so you can you can go too far one way or the other but i think it's really a good news story that the ecological people get in there and say what should this be like and i i think that's that's a really key role that you guys play yeah i mean it's it's um a lot of this is just about setting expectations you know like Sometimes it's setting expectations by saying, you know, this ecosystem is not going to look like the undisturbed ecosystem right next to you, but it, it's going to be a functional ecosystem that's going to, you know, be sustainable and, and explain these sort of things to regulators or to um, to the proponents of the mining companies or or to NGOs. I mean, just explaining what the outcomes are going to be and set expectations and explain why these are going to be the outcomes. Sometimes that's the case. Yeah. Is there any examples that you can give us of the work that you've done? And you don't have to mention client names or locations, but, you know, some something that you see as a success story. Yes. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, this is something that, that was started before I was involved in Cedar Creek, but I've uh-huh. been able to continue it on, on other projects as well. And so in northern Nevada, um, we have been salvaging topsoil as part of, you know, new mining disturbances for a very long time yeah yep and and what we saw and and this is out in the public domain so i'll i'll say the name what we saw at gold strike was that our topsoil reclamation was was really just dominated by cheatgrass right and so yeah so that was that's not a that's not what we wanted out of our our reclamation and so what happened back back in the day was um, the seeding company still had some seed in their hopper, and they they drove the the seed drill to empty out the seed onto some waste rock or what they thought was waste rock, and it ended up being the carlin material, which is um, oh yeah, yeah. A, a buried alluvial that um, that has low nitrogen in it, right? Mm-hmm. And when we came back for our revegetation survey the following year, we were like, well, what's going on here? And we had to chase down what happened and all that sort of stuff. And it turns out that this buried alluvial produces much better revegetation than any topsoil we could salvage, right? It's, yeah. It, it's a sandy clay loam that meets its great water holding capacity for revegetation. It allows us to produce a diverse ecosystem that is really novel to this area because it's not cheatgrass and you know it's it's you know that that carlin material wasn't on the surface before and then we went into a large-scale testing program of this and and to really evaluate whether this was something that that we could use continually and and the studies showed that we could Uh, and i know that there's some stability issues with stacking it and storing it but um from a revegetation perspective, it is such a great material for us to use for closure. And so they stopped salvaging topsoil as a part of, they, they demonstrated that they had enough garlic material to, to do the revegetation. And so they stopped salvaging um, topsoil. And this is a revegetation outcome that is a favorable revegetation outcome. It's one that, um, one that we're really proud of and um, we're really happy to, to, to continue to see these ecosystems um, succeed on this carlin material yeah that that's great and obviously you have to amend it because there's not very much in there for plants to grow on but you have to do something also with uh, with the uh, topsoil that's been set aside because it tends to become biologically 
dead uh, after the first couple, three feet? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's been a lot of research into soil biota going on now. And, and um, you know, with, with regard to Carlin, we're not doing a ton of amendments because the, the low level of nutrients is what is allowing our perennial plants to get established. I mean, they're really adapted to those low levels of nitrogen. And so it's what gives them a competitive advantage over cheatgrass. So we're not really doing a ton of amendments, just just a little bit of organic matter typically. Um, you know, those are complex kind of nitrogen and slow releasing. Um, that's what's really driving our revegetation performance. Yeah, that's that's great. And if we can do anything to halt some of the cheat grass uh, from coming in, that that's a real win. Yeah, and so so we've taken this sort of concept of other mines in northern Nevada and looked at other geologic materials as part of their mining process that that can serve the same purpose as growth media and so that we don't you know we're reclaiming with the best materials sometimes that's topsoil sometimes that's geologic material coming out of the pit yeah and i'm aware of one of the mines in northeastern nevada and i won't say what name because i don't think it's in the public domain where they remined an old tailings facility and they found that those tailings actually made a pretty good growth medium too yep yeah. Yeah. Okay. Jesse, we've covered a lot of information. Is there anything else that, that I didn't ask you about that you'd like to talk about today? Um, I just just briefly touch on how much I like working for the mining industry. You yeah. know, from a from a natural resource perspective, you know, some of the sites that I've been working on, I've been working on for my whole career. So 17 years doing vegetation studies. Yeah. And, and you just don't see that. I mean, even in research, very few projects are to the length of study that these, these sites are, you know, like these projects are. And so I think that a lot of value can be derived out of these ecological studies that the mining companies are implementing as oftentimes as part of compliance measures, but um, there is real value out of the data that's being generated. And so I thoroughly enjoy looking at the data sets that are coming out of out of these compliance projects i i encourage that we we bring them into the public domain and talk about them at conferences and um i i just the mining companies sometimes they they create unique problems but um they're just they're really it's really fun to be a problem solver working for the mining companies you know that that's really unusual because in mining the, the clients come and go the, the mine names the companies even change names the design engineers the engineers of record come and go and it's pretty remarkable that you've been on some of these projects for 17 years and your company's probably been on them even longer than that so that, that's unusual yeah no it's 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 us working in our tiny little niche but but continuing to execute well i believe yeah yeah that's a good testament to your company so jesse before we part ways and i know you've you've you're a busy guy and you've got stuff coming up but do you have any pearls of wisdom or key takeaways for us oh i don't know i mean i i think i'm learning every single day <laughs> and that's why i you know I, i've listened to this podcast because i'd like to learn from other people um I, I really don't. I, I, I go through every day just just 
trying to do make good decisions and and um i know that that's not a real piece of advice but uh that's just the way i try to live my life no i think that's uh, that's good advice you know i i think uh we could all learn to grow with with something like that yeah well Jesse, I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you listening to the podcast and uh, look forward to meeting you at some point in the future. I think we kind of just missed each other at the AEMA in Reno uh, last month. That's right. Yeah. And I'm sure I'll see you down the road. Yeah. Well, Jesse, again, uh, thanks and all the successes to you and, and, and I wish you and your business well. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks again, Jesse. Well, that's it. I'm Brian, and this is Behind the Scenes with Brian. Until next time, keep on rocking.